For most of human history, people have parented the way their parents and grandparents did, with culture providing the cues. We call this Parenting 1.0. For various reasons, parents began to question these approaches and we started turning more and more to so-called experts to learn to parent. This was the beginning of Parenting 2.0. This allowed for some real advances, but also a lot of confusion as we got further and further away from our natural parenting instincts. Parenting 3.0 is about reclaiming those instincts and integrating them with our current understanding of child development. It brings together the wisdom of the past with the best scientific and psychological research of the present. Parenting 3.0 isn't a fad or a quick fix. It's a set of principles that allows us to engage with our kids and life from an informed and empowered place. I'm Jai Flicker. And I'm Deb Blum. Welcome, Welcome to, to Parenting, Parenting 3.0. Hi everyone, we're so glad you're here today with us on our first episode. We're here today to answer the very important question, what is Parenting 3.0? So we're gonna get into it in just a minute. The idea is that we'll give you a little bit of background on um, 1.0 and 2.0. Actually, we want to show that there has been a progression, that there was this thing that we have identified as Parenting 1.0 and another thing called Parenting 2.0. And we're hoping that it's gonna resonate with you when we explain to you where we've been in the past, sort of where we might be, might be tripping up a little bit in parenting, and then what we're offering to you is this Parenting 3.0 as an alternative or sort of an evolution that we believe will feel like it's really aligned with being a human being, with uh, relating to other people, with development of children. And so before we get into that, we're going to tell you a little bit about where we've been in the past. So, Jai, would you like to start talking about Parenting 1.0? Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Happy to. So, you know, we kind of do a quick overview of the three different stages in our intro. Um, but just to reiterate, our conception of Parenting 1.0, it, it sort of stretches back into the dawn of humankind. Um, it's it's really just parenting that was not even it was not self-conscious it wasn't thought of as okay a parent nobody was using parenting strategies it was just survival it was how things were done it was um just taking care of your child within maybe you know a tribal setting um and of course, over time, as as society evolved and grew, and and different um, cultures uh, took different shapes, what parenting 1.0 looked like uh, was different in different areas. It was regional, um, but if you if you kind of imagine a thousand years ago, wherever you were on the planet, you probably really just were getting exposed to the way things were being done in your immediate family and in your immediate community. Uh, so there wasn't a lot of uh, exchange of cultural information. Um, there wasn't uh, exposure to how vastly different cultures were operating or thinking. Um, 
and um, and there wasn't a lot of uh, expertise to even turn to other than your uh, just the people in your immediate surroundings so if you if you add that all up in some ways whether parenting whether family life was easy or hard that's a whole separate issue but regardless of how easy or hard family life and home life was um, people weren't questioning parenting because that just couldn't really occur to them to do it wasn't really a thing to uh you know to to meditate on in the abstract i would think there was much more of a uh immediacy to it of just dealing with whatever Mm -hmm. was happening and kind of doing your best to deal with it and that was it and i don't know if you mentioned this but i think the other piece is that the actual like results like you know how children actually were raised it was like a product of those circumstances like it wasn't like there was there, because there was no one there like that was trying to like make it better or give you advice on what you should do I mean possibly a doctor may have sometimes given a little bit of input or something like that but like really people were a product of the quality of the sort of the the culture that they were raised in or the family they were raised in and unlike you know some of the things that we see happening in 2.0 yeah and, and probably even more than if you depends on you know we're sort of jumping around in in time here but if you go back even further it's probably you know more likely to be a priest or a, or a bishop um, oh, right. right or mm-hmm. or some religious leader kind of or moral leader kind of saying how how things should be and then you try to live up to that and following you know your faith and 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 bringing kids into that faith um which obviously still happens all over the world today but there's there i I think again if you go i like to go back well as we'll talk more about shortly we 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 kind of agree that parenting 2.0 has its sort of roots in the sort of turn of the century from the 19th to the 20th century early 20th century so if you go back a hundred years, you're sort of in the beginning of the transition from 1.0 to 2.0. Mm-hmm. If I, if, but if you go back a thousand years or, or 5,000 years, right. yeah, then you're safe. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so, so you could, so obviously families look very different. If you go back 5,000 or 10,000 years or 20,000 years, it's, it's very, a lot happened. It's not like everyone was using the same parenting strategy for 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 years. It's more just that that idea of parenting 1.0 is one that is um, drawn from your immediate surroundings. The people watching generations were sort of closer together. Mm -hmm. And so you were much more likely to have you know, two and three and maybe four generations all living together. So you were seeing how people were parenting. Uh, so there was just more direct experience. Um, and that was that was how it was done. And, that, and so that was what people learned how to do. Yeah, it makes me think about, I, I, I don't know this other than just like books I've read and other places that I've seen some history, but it seems like there were, there might've been a lot more support 
So maybe more aunts and uncles and grandparents mm. and, and other people that were involved in raising your children yeah. too. So it wasn't just, you know, a mom and a dad deciding what to do. That's a great point. You know, and yeah. so that, so it was easy for culture to get kind of infused because you were all living together. And so, yes, of course, it would be more natural for people to be learning from one another and perhaps even, I, I don't say this in a negative way, but perhaps feeling the pressure to mm-hmm. sort of just like do it that way. You know, that's yeah. just what we, this is how it goes in this yeah. family or in this yeah. community or tribe. Yeah. So it's a, it was a, I think that's a, a different time and probably something that we could really learn from and maybe even benefit from having a little bit more support. I think that's something yeah. that people feel a lot of um, a lack in that. Yes. In for present sure. day. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, it's, it's, it makes sense because if we involved in, community in in you know at least in the going way back to tribal existence and and um but if we evolved in in extended families being kind of involved then it makes sense that we're going to be kind of on some level psychologically we're going to be expecting that and when that doesn't show up it's going to feel like wait what where where is everyone (laughs) (laughs) right right so i mean i mean it's it's kind of like a lot of people including myself along the way uh growing up and then starting a family i think talk about the importance of community um but i sometimes in that process haven't always understood why that's so important and really connecting it to the fact that for you know until very recently that's really how people were living um and that not just that it was incidental that we were living that way, but that um, we evolved to live that way. It's like built into us right. to want that, to, right. to expect that. Right. And, and perhaps even to need that. A hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. I totally think so. So to, to start to look at how the transition from 1.0 to 2.0, because I think that's a really kind of important piece and also you know 2.0 is is really gonna we're gonna do there's more to say about 2.0 and i think it's more important to understand it because it's more complex and it's more recent it's more i think what is plaguing so many of us um 1.0 spanned a longer time period but um but 2.0 is what is like really really getting leading to a lot of the kind of confusion like we talked about um that parents are grappling with today so we want to we want to really lay this out um part of the reason there was a 2.0 to begin with was because this is going to get into the transition here it's because as you know going back to the 1700s even even earlier with the you know the um with the renaissance and the enlightenment and the scientific revolution it's like science emerged and it was a powerful force and first it was you know people looking up at the sky and seeing patterns of how planets moved and how stars crossed the sky and figuring out the laws of gravity and of inertia and um and of like heat and and light bending through prisms right this was like understanding the physical world and and it was pointed out to me at one point um that physics 
is um, is 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 sort of you know easier it's an easier science if you will than psychology because figuring out how a planet revolves around a star as complex as that is it's kind of a simple thing compared to understanding how the human psyche works so so it makes sense that it would have taken longer for psychology to evolve and develop as a as a discipline but um you know really psychoanalysis and 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 psychology you know it it really began not psychoanalysis psychology as a field you know they're one of the early towering figures of that was william james and he was kind of a philosopher half part philosopher part psychologist and and um and he really laid the groundwork for people to start um, looking inside the individual and and trying to understand, make sense of it um, mm-hmm. in, again in the Western world. And and then of course Freud came along in the um, mid. Uh, he was born in 1859, so um, you know he he was developing his theories and and starting to popularize them towards the end of the 1800s and the turn of that century and um and and psychoanalysis was really it's it's a very familiar concept to for us today but this was a new idea that hey we can start to see if people are having sort of personality disturbances as they might have been called we can find their roots in their childhood experiences and making those start to make making those connections between um traumatic events and later uh, phobias um, and different um, relationships with parents and how those those uh, early formative experiences would affect uh, people in a, later in life and so this was all um, very new but but Freud went a long way towards uh, educating the the public um, that this was that these were even possibilities so um so yeah so this was this so this is why i think we agree that 2.0 came online around 1900 because this is when that was happening and more and more people started um in the early 1900s starting asking questions about well how do we using this information this new scientific um psychological perspective how do we apply that to child rearing towards how, how do we apply it to education to to be more effective right i don't think um i don't think people in uh, a thousand years ago were asking that question in the abstract they weren't asking how do we what's the right way to parent they were just saying what do we do with this particular kid <laughs> right <laughs> in this right, particular right. situation mm-hmm. So, so that's part of this shift. And I think as we, again, we, we mentioned in the intro that led to a lot of uh, powerful advances and under, new understandings of subtleties of human nature, and, but, um, but led to some complicating issues as well. Yeah, for sure. So what do you, what do you, my, what, what, what are we needing to round out what I've said so far? I'm curious. Uh, well, I don't think there's much about parenting 1.0. I mean, there is so much, but I don't think there's much that's necessary for right now. Yeah. And I uh, think that as far as the transition from parenting 1.0, 1.0 to 
No, I mean, I think that it was you, another piece to it that changed was that, um, yes, now there are some experts and they're talking about psychology. So psychology as a discipline is emerging. And then also this idea of uh, how do we how do I, maybe how do we apply this to child rearing? But also what had changed, and it changed way back in 1440, but it's also been changing over the years at a faster and faster pace is our access to information. And so if you think 1440 was the beginning with the printing press, that was, um, you know, there were people who were really uh, afraid of the printing press because it did change things. It was really the first, I would say, the democratization of information. And for some people that felt that there was some power in holding that information, it was a big shift. And so that was the beginning. But then every single time since then, there's been anything that's been... um, a new a new technology and innovation, whether that be um, the radio or television, or then I like to differentiate between television and cable television because I think that was a massive shift. Um, I whenever I ever when people say that they blame things on the internet, I always say I think it was cable TV really because cable TV was the beginning of that. You had access to information everywhere across the country and world. Versus prior to that, you had television, but it was still local. And um, so things have changed so much. And then what I think most of us would agree with is that it's not only changed, but it's changed really quickly. So in the past, say, 50 years, things have changed so fast that it's been almost like drinking from a fire hose, you know, for people. And so, uh, and I think most people would agree that it's in even in the past 10 or 15 years, it's it's gone, you know, exponentially faster with the internet and social media so i think that there's that is something that has to be acknowledged as part of this shift is that now we not only do we have experts that are doing research but we now have access to that in a much more ubiquitous way yes so yeah no i think that's a a really good point um before you have a printing press you can't really have i mean the access to, um, you know, the access to the written word was very limited. And so, you you know, it wasn't very practical to even learn how to read for most people because there weren't enough books for it to matter. Um, But then you fast forward just a few hundred years and you have newspapers and printed books. And, um, and so, you could have um, people writing papers and having them disseminated widely. Um, so, um, and and we, we should talk more about this for sure as we get towards closer to now, because like you're saying, with, with the internet, um, we do have access, more and more access to more and more theories and different, I mean, just um, an over, it here it, it used to be that there wasn't enough like access to information was the problem and so that's why a library would be such an amazing resource because you could go somewhere and there'd be all this concentration of information and i think we've definitely hit a tipping point where we've gone to the other side where our problem isn't that we are we need access to information it's that we have access to so much information that what we need is a filter we need we need to have better sorting mechanisms. I mean, this is why Google is one of the biggest 
companies in the world is because they came along and said, you know what, we're going to organize this thing called the internet, which it's like all over the place so that you can type in a certain search term and get relevant information. So that's one kind of filter, but it's like we need an extra level of filtering on that because if you type in parenting, you're going to get the, uh, an immense uh, range of like ideas and thoughts and concepts. And so to sort of narrow things down now is more important. Yeah, well, especially because on the internet, we all know that you're you're not just getting, you're not getting the uh, experts' opinions only. And I'm not even trying to say that that's bad, but you're getting a lot of anecdotal opinions. And I know for me, it was really, really helpful for me to have mom's opinions about things because there were times when moms had really creative solutions to problems that were really practical problems like I had a baby who had a milk intolerance and reflux and I needed to be able to go on there and search in I remember searching on Dr. Spock's forum and people have actually come to me and said that they've found things that I've posted on there Mm. from you Mm. know 15 17 years ago you know and so there were places where I could get support. So it was wonderful on the one hand to be able to get anecdotal, experiential feedback from mothers who have been through it. On the other hand, it's also just who who to trust, yeah. who, where to go yes. with things, you know? Yes. So that's where I think that it's gotten a little bit more murky for people. Right. And it just gets it keeps growing and growing and right. growing. Right, exactly, <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because I think some of that sort of um, turning to other mothers for you, for in your case, um, other parents, um, it kind of it kind of goes back to there's an element of it that goes back to parenting 1.0, which mm, is a, I think yeah. an important integration. This is part of what we're going to get into shortly is how 2.0 in the in the excitement and enthusiasm of the new more rigorous more scientific approach to life and to parenting um there was a a a rejection of all that was 1.0 and that we 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 ended up throwing the baby out with the bathwater and 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 just like you know we need community we all that's an element of it it, I guess it's not even just like it. It's an example of it. It's mm-hmm. like there's an element of just um, connecting with other people who are going through and living the same experience. And, and you just, you know, I was at a birthday party uh, over the weekend and I have a two-year-old and hearing other parents go, oh, yeah, 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 I, I we're dealing with the same thing. It wasn't really so much that I was even getting advice, although sometimes that does happen, which is super helpful. But also just going through it with other people is, is a is, like you said, it's a human need. Yeah. And so if, if we're only in those moments of uh, challenge, only turning to experts or only turning to books to figure out what to do, there's a part of our experience that's going unmet. Yeah. Um, and I'm also struck by the fact that um, it is it is complicated because um, the 
the forums that we enter into, you can sometimes get a sense of community and a, and even some really good ideas. In fact, I, there's even a um, a New York Times like health columnist who will take these intractable medical conditions. There's a show on this now. I think it's mm. on Netflix, and she will put say hey this person has tried everything and then the doctors don't know what to do have you ever experienced this and we'll put it out and it's like people from all over the world will see this and then go oh well i actually had that same thing and we figured this out and so there's a way in which like using the internet to crowdsource all the from the entire planet it's so powerful Mm -hmm. and it also can lead to really weird corners of of the cyberspace where people are you know you know in echo chambers and kind of um uh just reinforcing kind of just misguided beliefs and um or 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 just limited views and saying all sorts of crazy things i mean it's like we all know it's like almost like a joke um how how insane it can get (laughs) how insane it can get so this is this is sort of the age we're obviously living in, um, but um, getting back to the beginning of 2.0, um, a really helpful figure uh, to go to start with is um, is John Watson. He was an early behaviorist, and he published a book. Speaking of the printed word. Uh, in 1928 um, I have a copy of it here it's called Psychological Care of Infant and Child and I had heard about this guy I kept hearing about this guy because um, I've been interested in as it will become uh, clear uh, behaviorism and how that influences our parenting today and um, and what the uh, kind of strengths of that approach are and what some of the shortcomings are Uh, several of as you know several of the uh, theories and the theorists that I find the most useful started out as behaviorists themselves and then basically saw the limitations of that framework and evolved something new and something uh, more developmentally oriented that's that I think is um, really important to know about and so when I started looking at the roots of, um, of behaviorism, I would first find B.F. Skinner. He was such mm-hmm. a towering figure in that field, Harvard psychologist um, and author. Um, and he, he was the guy who was doing, you know, they literally named the uh, Skinner boxes, the boxes where they would put a rat or a pigeon and, and do these tests to see when they would give them shocks and press the button for the food pellet. And that was, those were called Skinner boxes named after B.F. Skinner. But if you go back before him, the earlier name that kept popping up was this guy, John B. Watson. And, um, and so I finally kind of recently uh, printed, uh, found a copy of his book and printed it out and started, um, reading through it and was pretty shocked even <laughs> even though i already kind of knew somewhat to what to expect i was pretty shocked what i, what I found um me too <laughs> so i want to share a few of these i have it right here i want to share a few of the of uh, the quotes from this partly because it's it's entertaining partly because it's shocking partly because it's informative and also 
which uh, I'll explain, partly because it helps. He's really writing, you can hear it in his writing, he's really writing at this transition from 1.0 to 2.0, and he's, he's naming it very explicitly. So, um, for example, in the introduction, he, he says, we have only just begun to believe that there is such a thing as the psychological care of infants and children. So that's such a given today that um, it's like obviously infants have psychological needs. That's but but this is a hundred not even a hundred years ago, and he's kind of naming it like this is a new idea. So mm -hmm. it's just really not that old. Um, and so um, he he's saying parents and then mothers especially uh, resent. Um, they say he says they they resent any advice or instructions on how to care psychologically for their children. What parents want advice on how much affection they should bestow upon their children, or any word about how their child children should be handled or treated hourly in the home? Hourly, okay. There's some <laughs> extremeness here that he's and in and, and then he puts it in quotes as if this is the parent protesting. I can't take my child up in my lap. I can't let my children sleep together. I can't let my child play around me all I want to. So you, this is this is page two of the introduction, <laughs> and you're starting to get a sense of how sort of rigid and extreme the view of this more scientific approach was of behaviorism at its inception. Well, and you're also starting to see, though, that, it, that there is pushback you know that there was you know 1.0 was yes. this time where what like when 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 it was in that shift there were it wasn't like parents were just like excited to have new information they were like wait a second we've been doing this parenting thing maybe they didn't call it that but we've been doing child rearing and we've been doing it just fine and yes. so what do you mean you're going to come in here and tell me to do the this this thing in this way yes yes um I'm trying to find this one part that really captures that. Let me see if this might be it, hopefully. Okay. <laughs> if not, I'll just read it anyway. Um, he says, uh, <laughs> this is chapter one, and he says, the oldest profession of the race today is facing failure. This profession is parenthood. Many thousands of mothers do not even know that parenthood should be numbered among the professions. They do not realize that there are any special problems involving, involved in rearing children. For them, the age-old belief that all that children need is food as often as they call for it, warm clothes, and a roof over their heads at night is enough. Nature, in quotes, does the rest almost unaided. They argue that parents have been rearing children for a great many centuries. Therefore, why bother about learning anything new? Mm, yeah. And there it is. That's the protests of mothers who are still in Parenting 1.0 saying, uh, we've been managing just fine, thank you very much, for centuries. <laughs> like, um, why do I suddenly need to um, listen to you? And there's a, another quote here, a funny thing. Uh, let me skip ahead here. Um, he was giving a lecture and this woman comes up to him. He says, this is in chapter three, which is entitled The Dangers of Too Much Mother Love. 
just again just I mean it just <laughs> captures it so be- there was a way in which he really just wasn't holding back and so mm-hmm. I think it's helpful it's like unadulterated behaviorism and I think that obviously I think behaviorism has evolved so it's actually gotten less extreme but it's also some of it is that the language has been sanitized Mm -hmm. so i think it's kind of and his was not (laughs) his was not that was yeah it's it's really helpful he says once at the close of a lecture before parents a dear old lady got up and said quote thank god my children are grown and that i had a chance to enjoy them before i met you Mm. and and i love that Mm-hmm. because she's she I feel like she you can hear I don't know in that comment that she is in touch with something like you know what I'm I'm like enjoying the the just the the very ancient sort of simple but not easy process of just enjoying raising my children and loving them and yeah living with them well because but I don't think what anyone I don't think that we've what we've said yet is what he believes because I kind of feel like that's the key thing, like right, is to reveal like what okay. this man thinks. Yes. I don't want to skip ahead. No. If you're not ready, but no, I think no, that I think you know I right. might have been sitting at the edge of my seat, dying to know what it was that he, what he says thought. if I didn't already know. <laughs> Thank you for reeling me in. I mean, this is part of it. I have to admit, it's still sort of new to me, and I just keep. I've read all these quotes before, and I just every time, each time I read them again, I just kind of my mind just explodes. Yes, mine too. But I still want to keep. If there were other ones, I I I want to keep reading any of the other quotes because they're so helpful. But I do think that getting to a little yes. bit of what he does or what he believes in or what he prescribes to parents might help people to understand how shocking he is because I was really shocked. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, um, here's, here's another excerpt that I think starts to get to what you're, what you're pointing to, uh, his beliefs, right? And he says, it is a serious question in my mind, whether there should be individual homes for children or even whether children should know their own parents. I know it's you, crazy. It's not, I'm I'm it's like I'm actually reading this right. There are <laughs> undoubtedly much more scientific ways of bringing up children which I will which will probably mean finer and happier children. Mm-hmm. So he's really seeing he's looking around, okay, to just be sympathetic to him or something for a second. He's looking around and he's in from his perspective, he's seeing kids get maybe spoiled or, you know, whatever his, his critique is and going like, "Oh, oh, oh no, this will never." He's mm-hmm. wanting to elevate humanity, but it's just so extreme and I yes. think misguided, right? It was I think good intentions, <laughs> but uh went too far. He, 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 <laughs> he continues, I, he says, I suppose parents want their children to be happy, efficient, well-adjusted to life, but if I were to offer to take any mother's child and guarantee it such an upbringing and were even to convince the mother at the same time that she was unquestionably unfitted to bring up her child, that's offensive, <laughs> um, that, she, that she would inevitably bring up a weakling, a petted, spoiled, sullen, shy youngster who would grow up a liar and a thief, would she give up the child to me? 
No, the social pressure to have a child, to own a child, to be known in the community as a woman with a legitimate child is strong. It is a part of our mores. <laughs> so he's attributing there, one important thing is he's attributing the reason why a mother would want to hold on to her child to these uh, social pressures or, or, or to be known in the community as a woman with a legitimate child, like, right. wow, <laughs> talk about some blind spots, right? But, some blind spots. But sure. yeah, so so he, um, that's that was his view. Is like you know, parent like parents and mo- mothers don't understand how to raise kids, and we need to basically kind of mm-hmm. engineer them. Yep. That's pretty much, and and the behaviorist. The reason it's called behaviorism is because they were studying. Um, starting with animals, uh, how to basically with rewards and punishments, how to get desired behavior. It was a yeah. it was a project of control. It was it was about desirability of certain behaviors and the undesirability of certain other behaviors and attitudes and sentiments and how do you right. how do you um, how do you scientifically train them out. Right. And we, and we do see that as present. I mean, that's present in parenting still. Just Absolutely. not right. Absolutely. Just not in this extreme way that we're seeing it here. It's certainly there and you know, if, if nothing else, the impulse to manage our child's behavior is there even if, whether we act yeah. on it or we don't act on it, yeah. but the impulse is there. And uh, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, well, so keep going. I, I well, he's, he, this gives another insight into how he, this guy, this one guy, of course, was seen, but I think he set the stage for a lot to follow. He says, since the behaviorists find little that corresponds to instincts in children, okay, so they're looking at these children and they're seeing blank slates. There are no instincts mm-hmm. in children. Since children are made, not born, Mm-hmm. Failure to bring up a happy child, a well-adjusted child, assuming bodily health, falls upon the parent's shoulders. So this is a re- this is important for at least two reasons that I can think of. I'd be here- curious to hear your thoughts. But one is that this view that the child is a blank slate um, is a very uh, specific starting point, and it's I would argue an incorrect view. Um, based on everything that I've researched and much subsequent uh, uh, developmental psychology, that's not the case. But if you start from that, then it leads to point number two, which is that if you have a blank slate, a just tabula rasa, then you're, you all, all the responsibility for every little uh, behavior is going to be the responsibility of the parents. And so it leads to, in a weird way, and I think we've both seen a lot of this in our current day practices um uh an an over uh burden of responsibility on parents feeling so much pressure to shape their kids in every little way because um you know going back to this original idea if we don't do it it's not going to happen because they're just their blank slate sort of waiting to be shaped and so right. we got to do it right so yeah yeah 
Mm. And and yet he does start to talk about, you know, he does start to bring in this idea though of self conscious parenting. This is where it enters, right? He starts. I would say because yeah. he talks about yeah. you know that it's all on the parents. Well, well, that that very paragraph um, goes on. He says, since the most serious faults in the rearing of children are to be found on the emotional side, I've put a special emph- emphasis upon the growth of emotional habits. Um, uh, that's not what I wanted to read. The acceptance of this view makes child rearing the most important of all social obligations. Mm-hmm. So it does, it's it's sort of like, on the one hand, it's like, it feels good to be mm-hmm. taking parenting so seriously. <laughs> on the other hand, I think it has led to overly anxious parents. Right. That's where I was going to go with it is that I feel like on the one hand, like I'm all for uh, elevating parenting as such a the critical role that it is and i'm all for helping parents to to look at this and and see places where we have our own blind spots and places where we can develop but it definitely was not his advice isn't the one that i'd be you know cheering for <laughs> for the parents to be looking at but it uh, but you know there were times i mean there were things that we read in this that i did feel like i was in agreement with him philosophically that there might have been some value in us examining our parenting you know even if i didn't agree with his his hypothesis i mean have you i can i share the one about kissing or do yeah. you, or are we waiting for do you have no, an actual quote on that or oh yeah do you do well, do you want to do the quote because yeah. i mean yeah. the kissing one might have been the first one that kind of made me almost yeah like okay grasp my heart and i, I think i was actually on the treadmill when it was happening and i was starting to worry about my <laughs> okay. my health for a moment let me, let me find this here it's pretty nuts um here we go not long ago i went motoring with two boys aged four and two their mother grandmother and a nurse in the course of the two-hour ride one of the children was kissed 32 times Four by his mother, eight by the nurse, and twenty times by his grandmother. The other child was almost equally smothered in love. But there are not many mothers like that, you say. Mothers are getting modern. They do not kiss and fondle their, their children nearly so much as they used to. Unfortunately, this is not true. I once let slip in a lecture some of my ideas on the dangers lurking in the mother's kiss. Immediately, thousands of newspapers wrote scathing editorials on, quote, Don't kiss the baby. Hundreds of letters poured in, judging from them kissing the baby to death. is just about as popular a sport as it ever was, except for a very small part of our population. Is it just the hard-heartedness of the behaviorist, his lack of sentiment, that makes him object to kissing? Not at all. There are serious rocks ahead for the overkissed child. Before I name them, I want to explain how love grows up. So he goes on to this whole theory of this. But um, he really believed that uh, showing affection was basically re- giving rewards for nothing. And so from a be- from a purely behavioral standpoint, um, it was... Uh, 
a recipe for disaster. Yep, I know. And it's so crazy to me only, I mean, it's so, it's just so crazy to me intuitively and like my, I'll just use it for speaking for myself, my mother's instinct, you know, just says what? And, but the craziest part about that was that not only did he say that too much kissing of your child would be bad for them, but too much in his mind was one time per year. More than once that a was, year. No, no more than. Was, all right, no more than once yeah, a year. Yeah, more than once a year was too much. That's crazy. That's, that's you know okay. Like once a year, you know, if, <laughs> if you just kind of, it's kind of like you know Christmas. Right. You know, you give them a kiss. Okay, fine. Yeah, it's a gift. A year, it's a, it's big... a gift. I know they were told. I think it was. So when when did he write that? This was, was that? published in 1928. 1928. Because it started actually in 1910 where there were people being. That was like the beginning of being warned not to indulge your, your children with too much affection. Yeah. And, you know, and then it was, you know, don't hug your kids. Instead, have them sit on your lap, shake their hands or pat their heads and this idea that ignoring your baby or your child builds character. Yeah. yeah. So it builds yeah. character in yeah. them. I mean, and that doesn't even, by the way, like, you know, aside from Watson, there's also these other things like just, you know, putting your kids in a metal cage. and What? Yes, in the 1930s, it was recommended. I mean, you could argue a crib is kind of that, but that wasn't what it was. This was like over the top of them. Yeah. They were caged in like they yeah. were little animals or something. Yeah. And, yeah. And then, you know, 1940s was don't coddle your boys. I mean, there have definitely been some misguided bits of advice that are out there. You know, my my recollection about Watson, though he's very um, uh, well educated and uh, a smart man, he his background, though, was that he was raised by a mother who treated him this way, mm. is my, my memory of the, what I heard about him, and that he... You know, it's this very sterile way of looking at parenting, right? I mean, it's a and and it sounded to me what I heard was that he was raised in an environment that was pretty sterile. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. So he may may have been working through some of his own stuff. Working through a little some bit. of his own stuff. You know, it it actually I want to digress into something Please. really short and and quick about that, but yeah. it's an important blind spot for all of us to see. Yeah. And you know, I'm in this pro- this training program with Dr. Gabor Mate, yeah. um, Compassionate Inquiry, and one of the things that he talks about is that uh, when a child is in a situation where they're being, say, I'm just going to use this word for lack of a better word at the moment, but somehow mistreated by their parent, they really do. They're in a position where if they if they judge their parent's behavior as bad. That's actually really dangerous for the mm. child to do mm. because that means that then they're not being taken care of. So it's actually easier for them to judge themselves as bad. So yeah. to judge for the child yeah. to ju- judge itself or her, his or herself as bad and look at the parent's behavior as that must be the good behavior. That must wow. be what it yeah. should be. Yeah. So in some ways, it's kind of what might... Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist able to diagnose him, but like there's some way that I can see that for him, he may have wanted to justify his mother's behavior so wow. that he could yeah. say, say, oh, well, you know, she did it right, and look at me, I turned out great, yeah. kind of. Yeah, yeah. So I love that. Yeah. I, love I mean, that. that's just an interesting kind of like a side interpretation a of the possibility yeah. of where this is coming from. Sure. sure. Which doesn't like make me that hopeful about 
about our experts, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I think, and, and I think I'm, I'm glad you brought that up um, while, we're, while we're talking about it. It's like that when, when I first heard a version of that, that kids will kind of, if, if, if their parents aren't um, even showing them the sort, I mean, this is the problem with his whole theory. It's like if a child is expecting to be receiving some love in, a, in, a, in an instant and doesn't get it, the 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 move is towards going oh there must be something wrong with me and that just hit home so much because it doesn't it's it doesn't even have to be mistreatment exactly i, I, I mean yeah, there is right. plenty of mistreatment I, I don't even mean to say that that's not it but just it could be even the subtlest thing of of you know really going for that you know moment of connection and the parent is um making you know just getting i don't know preparing for the day and it just right. and, it, and it's a missed opportunity but the child goes oh i guess um there must be might be must be something wrong with me and um and it's that it can be that tender and that yeah little yeah so it's just um yeah there there's a lot to it right and 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 the other thing that i like just to you know little stick with us for just one more moment is that i i think that you know those things will happen because yeah. we are, you know, I mean, we're going to be distracted yes. and there are times that yes. those can tap those. And there is some tolerance for that in yes. relationships. Yes. There's some tolerance. It's just that when it keeps happening repetitively, it can really imprint a story in a child yeah. that they are, you know, that they now have to be the one that's owning like, well, the reason why I'm not getting that is because I did something wrong yeah. or I'm, yeah. you know, I'm bad or I'm wrong. And so there's a, a way of like us knowing the importance of those the kind of the almost the exact opposite of what what Watson's saying is that no you know you really can't use affection as currency you can't yes, use yes. like a, attachment and love and connection as currency those must be a given in the parent-child relationship yeah yeah sorry i'm giving Which, it's like a little foreshadowing yeah. for parenting 3.0 <laughs> <laughs> we'll be talking at length about some of this yes. stuff yeah no that's good though that's really good um so I don't want to, I, I mean, there's, I, I'm personally, like I said, so like shocked by what I found when I printed that out that I'm, I'm, I'm spending a little bit, maybe too much time on it, but, but that's just, I think an important, um, milestone turning point maybe, um, in our sort of history of parenting, um, because it was really, he was very explicitly saying like, you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You you parents don't you really don't know you have no idea. Um, in one part, he says, literally, no one today knows enough to raise a child. No one. So if when you fast forward to today, when you have a lot of parents who are feeling like they don't know how to deal with certain situations or they don't know how to, they don't feel like, uh, fully empowered as, as parents and, and like, like they're really feeling competent in their day-to-day interactions with their children. There's a way in which, um, that started more recently than we might've realized. And it was, and it was maybe unintentionally or actually probably intentionally being cultivated but not not just as a purely manipulative thing but to um to try to motivate p- 
people to who pay attention to listen yeah. to his theories and going like you don't not know what you're doing you need to listen to mm-hmm. me right mm-hmm. and um and uh so interestingly um moving forward a few decades and speaking of dr spock who you you referenced um he came along and i didn't actually know this uh until recently myself he came along and um and said hey you you know his famous quote was you you know more than you think you do and so he was really attempting to balance that out and 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 re-empower parents um to trust themselves more and Mm -hmm. i and i i think i am definitely more in that camp i think that's really important and it's not just because it feels good to feel empowered although it does there's some very specific specific reasons that um i now understand based on how attachment works that it's important for a parent to be empowered it's it's good it's not good it's not just good for the parent it i would say it's sort of incidentally it happens to be good for the parent but it's essential for the health of the child for the parent to be as empowered as possible and so um part of what i want to do here and i don't want to speak for you but i think we want to do (laughs) is is help empower parents so that for for their benefit Mm -hmm. and especially for the benefit of the kids absolutely absolutely and i think that part of that and um i want to talk about dr spock too but um part of that is that we are it's almost as if when you keep on getting all of these different opinions layered upon your our thinking it's so easy to then be confused and lack confidence and and so we're not we're not i don't think we're here saying that um uh, we kind of know every solution to every problem. That's not really what we're here no, to do. No. But we're here to say, like, how can we help you to, how can we pick out the things, the theories that exist in the world that are the most aligned with human nature and what our children need and, and with our parenting instincts to help to, to sort of help us remember that. And it's almost as if we're saying, let's go back. Oh, no, I'm doing, I'm saying what, parenting 3.0 is but ahead, anyway it's ahead. okay we're just gonna do yeah. it for a moment we're, like, we're saying like let's go back to the the pre-1900s you know the thousands of years and find those places where people really did just have an in, a, you know an innate sense of this is how i parent those things that were like beautiful and kind of like weaved into being a human being and a mammal yeah you know yeah and then also over the past hundred and say 20 years what's what have we learned you know yes. and there have been so many things we've learned that are critically important that help us to be far better parents and especially in the current day and age that we live in you know i mean it was a very different time than 200 to you know thousands of years ago yeah and so we're we need to know this we need this better information i i know people are like craving both that's right you know and so well because because part of the problem with just saying as dr spock did which i you know i think was really important at the time was to say hey you know more than you think you do that's really powerful but if that's the sort of overriding message where you go oh i'm having this problem it's like just trust your instincts just trust your instinct which i want to you know obviously i'm trying to distinguish what we're saying here from that it's sort of not enough information right 
but so then it puts you immediately back into the problem of well then um you know now i'm just back to relying on experts again and Mm. and so part of what we're trying to do and this is starting to speak to parenting 3.0 is is to say um unlike those mothers who when they first heard the the extreme behaviorist solution or 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 approach being professed by watson they were going like this is crazy i'm glad i am done raising my children Mm -hmm. uh you know before hearing you from you um we want it to be and i and i think we've both had this experience time and time again with the theories that we're going to be talking about where you hear something and it kind of a light bulb goes off both in your mind you go oh that that's why that happens that way that's why that works but it also reinvigorates your instinct your gut it goes that also feels right that also and and not just because i want it to but because it's like there's something deep and ancient and primal there it's it's like actually like you said remembering it's reconnecting us to something that's been part of the human experience for tens of thousands of years if not longer exactly exactly and you know when so i i agree so i i guess that um when i think about dr spock so well first of all i'm just so grateful that that dr spock came along but that's not what he's really known for by the way i mean he's known for books afterwards usually mm-hmm. so i think that was like 1946 when he came along and he said that yeah you know and i really just commend him for his intention which was to basically say if it doesn't feel right like you do know like don't do it so because on the flip side to what you just said you also have people who they are doing things that don't feel good and they're doing it because they were told to do it you know and i'm going to use cry it out not because i want to put i mean it's a a touchy one and believe me i did you know some of it too so it's not like i'm here making a judgment but we know i mean i'll speak for me i know when i did cry it out even if i just did it for short periods of time it felt wrong it, but I was also grappling, just like with many parents, we're grappling with that, like, okay, but I also need some sleep. So it's a, it's a, sometimes you're making conscious choices and you're trying to like weigh out what the right things are. But sometimes people do things just because an expert told them to, and they've really shut down any access to the, those, uh, those inner voices, those inner feelings and sensations that say no. This has gone too far. And that's what I think is trying to be awoken, you know, is to say like, wait, you do have a lot of this inside of you. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just want to say with with Dr. Spock, what he also said was that there's common sense in parenting. Mm. And I think that I appreciated that just because I think that's true. And he says, and your gut is what you should listen to. Mothers should trust their instincts. And, you know, he was the one that was the antithesis of these more sterile parenting styles and that, um, you know, that they should feel. Oh, yeah. And that's what the other thing he said, though, is that they should feel in their gut the advice that they were getting doesn't feel right. And they should listen to their instincts first. Yeah. And, you know, and, and he said it, but that they say uh, this is actually a quote of his. And he said, um, but the but that what happens is, you know, that they've. They know in their instincts that it's wrong, but their books and magazines told them that they should do it. You know, it's almost, <laughs> you know, I, it's almost like parenting 3.0 started with Spock. I, yeah. I mean, the early like just like like um, parenting 2.0 didn't re- it, it sort of started slowly and then mm. really took off later. Like we haven't even mentioned the parenting 
statistic about the I'll, I'll say it now the if you there's a there's a thing on uh, that a service that Google mm. pro- provides called Ngram N G R A M Ngram it's the Ngram viewer and they've scanned in so many books that you can type in a single word and see how often it has been used over hundreds of years and if you type in the word parenting it's nuts for if you go back to 1800 it just creeps along almost at like zero and then right around 1970 it just shoots up it's crazy all of a sudden parenting was like a concept that was being talked about it's over it became a verb it became a verb and and before that it just wasn't even a real it wasn't kind of a topic of written conversation so mm-hmm. so even though we're sort of going all the way back to 1900 there was a, a long period um, of time where it was still just sort of brewing the idea of parenting um, and that um, it really it really became this almost obsession starting in in the 70s yeah. um, so in that same way you know I think what we're talking about, does have its roots for sure i mean when you hear those quotes like for sure in in what dr spock brought and his to be fair i mean i think it was a huge relief his book went on to be a a multi-million copy bestseller and so so it was helpful but um very helpful hugely helpful but i think two things i think one we've gotten away from that Mm -hmm. and part of it is because of what we've been talking about in terms of um in terms of uh, an overwhelming access to information. Mm-hmm. I think there's some other uh, cultural factors uh, in terms of, I mean, going back to the 80s, uh, the the missing children on milk cartons. Yep. And like that turns out to have been an actual <laughs> turning point in like the level of anxiety and fear on the minds of parents, yeah. right? Because even though society was getting safer, and the child abductions were getting far fewer. It was in your face every time you were like pouring your kids cereal. And that like, I think it was a collective unintentional traumatization of the population. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and also with more access to, you know, news, uh, you know, if, if a child, if something, some crazy thing happened across the country, we would hear about it. Right. Well, cause there were some high profile, really big bad abductions that had happened true, in like i think true. the 70s and 80s yes right and then and we knew about them when maybe before you just wouldn't have even known and 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 uh with with cable television as you were mentioning it's like you know they have the 24-hour news cycle so it's like you gotta you gotta constantly be yeah. you know coming up with something else to talk about um and so um and then i think um also the um just the shift in um politics and and i mean there's just you know society and culture keeps on changing and evolving and growing and and going through different phases and so um i think um we've we've come a long way in the past say 50 60 years um in terms of actual neuroscience in terms of brain imaging um in terms of connecting that with child development and so there's uh 
there's a level of rigor available to us now that wasn't available to him then. Right. So that's, I think, um, helpful and, and kind of proves out not all of what he was talking about, but a lot of what he was talking about. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and I think that because I think that when you look at the the period of time, say from like the nineteen from nineteen hundred to now, you know you can see that there's been like a mishmash of so many different things, and even even in present day, you still it's not as if we would say, oh, you know, no one has a behavior. Well, we talked about this before. Like people still are looking at behavior modification. People are also looking at you know trying to trust their instincts, and you know you've got like all different types of parenting philosophies that are just in a big pool and that's part of the challenge that we have right now is kind of like what's right what's wrong what's doing what's helping our children what's not helping our children and i think that being in a place right now at least where we live we know that it's really um a big push toward a much more progressive model of parenting and more i think parents are trying to um i would at least say for I don't know, you can maybe tell me how long you think it is, but there's been mm. definitely an orientation toward like helping our kids to have a rich emotional life and you know, knowing that they aren't just these blank slates, but they do come in with personalities and kind of like other things that are going on and trying to trying to sort of help them to unfold into who they are. And they're all like really great. They're um in my own personal opinion, I think it's wonderful to let your child unfold into into who they are meant to become. But sometimes it can get confusing. Like, okay, well, wait, if I'm doing that, does that mean I can't ever have a boundary? Does right, that mean right, I can't right. ever tell them not yes. to do something? And right. so it's so it it is really a confusing time. And that's one of the biggest problems with parenting 2.0 is that it's left us in this place where we are just pulled in so many directions by so many expert opinions and it's hard because there's no one underlying framework that we're working off of it's just this is what you should do in this situation and this is what you should do in that situation the way that i have experienced parenting 2.0 has been this pressure that i should be really good at everything that i really need to know exactly how to handle every situation and that I have to, and that I, I have this sense that in some way um, that there is a right way. And it's kind of a funny thing because when we get into parenting 3.0, I definitely feel like there are some ways that we're going to present what we think are really like core elements of how to be a, a parent that is best for our children. But there's something different about parenting 2.0 that feels to me like it's just pulling me in a lot of directions, or it was pulling me in a lot of directions. And I felt, I guess I just would say it was just a tremendous amount of pressure. And then I think when we look at um, in the internet and the way that the internet has just made information so ubiquitous, we know what everybody's doing everywhere. And there's a little bit of a keeping up with the Joneses that happens. And then I think when we look at our children and we, and we chart their lives out and we look at things like, well, we want them to be able to go to the best college, for example. If we start doing that, then we, we have all these ways we back ourselves into it, that we have to, they, that our child has to be on track at a certain age age and yeah you know everything that is happening it's like it's a constant barrage of pressure to be a certain way in order to get our kids to be able to do a certain thing so that they can achieve this thing called success and it feels like it's not right it's not really coming from like what's best for our child it's kind of coming it's like we've gotten caught up 
in a whirlwind of of like achievement and moving towards something. Yes, so. and and I think the key, uh, the common idea or the common issue or problem there is that in everything you're saying is that parents are taking all these cues from everywhere but their own internal guidance Mm -hmm. and they've and that's this instinct that we've we've gotten out of touch with and when we are completely disconnected from that to the point where we can't even find that voice within us at all that's where i think there's i think that's the source of that sense of pressure Mm-hmm. There's an external pressure to 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 keep up with the Joneses, but there's also that I think we're susceptible to that when we feel unmoored, and so for sure. And so yeah, so there's this in 3.0, and there's this simultaneous move to reclaim that inner guidance, that inner connection to instinct and to um, our own knowing. So that we're, we're we are being self-referencing, and um, and also a a gathering of information that is not it's not as much strategic as it is um, a set of principles that help us understand what's going on. Yeah, and and I think this is the distinction you're getting at is there's there's a big difference between having a a kind of a i don't even want to call it a mosaic because that a mosaic implies that it's a big picture made of little pieces but rather it's like a it's like a shotgun just scattering of a bunch of things to do in this situation do this in that situation do this and and then just you you kind of at some point i think people start to run themselves ragged trying to hold on to all these fragmented um ideas parenting techniques or tips and um and whereas if you if you actually even though it kind of takes longer to to assemble if you if you have a a set of principles that explain human behavior that explain human motivation that explain parent child dynamics then more and the the deeper that understanding gets uh the more different situations make sense because mm-hmm. they all start to fit in. We see through to the to the depths of them rather than the surface differences, the the the, the universal nature underlying these many situations. So um, so that's that's obviously super helpful. Mm-hmm. And I think I just want to I just want to give a nod to 2.0 before before we move move on and say. And I, and I didn't see this at first. I, I was really looking at parenting 2.0 through a more negative lens because people are so um, uh, feeling so lost and um, f- fragmented in, in their thinking about how to raise kids. Um, but at the same time, I think it there was an important move from 1.0 to 2.0 that was about opening our minds to new possibilities because if 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 somebody were to just be in squarely in 1.0 and we came along and said you know what 
there's all this amazing research on human nature and we're going to shed some light on on how your child is acting and why and that person was just squarely in 1.0 they wouldn't I don't think they would be open-minded enough to take it in and make good use of it. They just say, you know what? This is how we've always done it. And this is how we're going to do it. Right. So the 2.0 had this really important uh, element of, of, of creating this openness. And it's just, so it's this, but it, if we think of it as a, as the end phase, it's, 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 um, it, it, it's problematic. But if we understand that as a transition phase, it, it, it's more properly placed. I think that's a really great way to look at it. And I, I really feel like we have been going through a transition. In a lot of ways, I know people have said to me that they feel like we're guinea pigs because we're also a product of a, a really fast-changing technological environment. And so there's a way that we're all just trying to figure it out as we go along. And uh, and then I also think we're there's a lot of fear and so I think that's what when, you know, as we like right now make a conscious movement to talking about parenting 3.0, we I think there's this way that we're we're interested in. I think if I were to say what I want, it would be for people to feel like parenting actually does feel more natural again. I want people to feel like they are um I'm being careful with the word I use. I'm being in control. And I don't mean controlling, but I mean feeling in control. Feeling like they... Not in control of their kids. Right. But of their lives. In control of their lives, (laughs) right. And in control of themselves. I think there's like a real sense that parents are feeling a lot of, why do I react all the time? I'm always Mm. like losing it on them. And so some sense of feeling like they... They actually know what they're doing. They are kind of having a sense of like what their children need and how they can be the best solution for them, you know, and how. I have a friendly amendment to that. Okay. Because I think I think <laughs> the the sense of of being out of control is pretty pervasive, and so it makes sense that then we might say, well, we want to help them be in control as opposed to out of control. But I feel like a a better word is empowered mm-hmm. if we're feeling sure. out of control and then we feel empowered we're not going to feel so out of control and and it might not have to do with being in control it might mm-hmm. be about um having a deep sense of understanding mm-hmm. and a deep sense of connection to oneself and so a higher tolerance for some volatility or some uncertainty or or unknown and some a uh, deeper sense of trust in the process and that things are going to be okay and that we don't have to we don't have to be in control in a sense mm-hmm. and um and and that we do feel a sense of just more general competence yeah and and that's that's such an important indicator of just general well-being it's a, it's an ingredient for mm-hmm. our our sense of security in in life is just to feel like we're we're up to whatever task we are facing. Yeah. And and so what do you think about that? I completely agree. I mean, I think there are people out there who feel really out of control. And yes. so probably the, it sounds pretty attractive to imagine being in yes. control. Yes. <laughs> and so, uh, but I think your nuanced description is far more accurate to what we're trying to do here. And that it's, cool. okay. and that it's so, and it's so, um, it's so, 
personal and so it's it's this idea I think that it does require us to be self-aware we do need to take a look at you know what we're doing and how we relate to our child and we do need to I liked what you said like you know have patience and be able to see that like this is a journey that we're on with our children and part of the fear that we get caught up in is a fear that our kids aren't are missing the mark or our kids aren't getting there on time that we're not in control that is part of the fear is somehow that we're not in control so what we're moving toward is this idea that maybe right like you said like maybe it's not in control that matters but it's some sense of feeling like feeling some competence as a parent yeah yeah and feeling a sense that when you're in situations that you are able to handle the situation and that you might not even know all the answers but that somehow that your presence is actually you know able to feel that confidence in parenting love it yeah and i want to before we end here i want to bring in one more thing that you were talking about earlier that i just think is so powerful so important and such a um is going to be a theme of of all of our future conversations as well and that is um i'm gonna i'm gonna call i'm gonna sum it up as sort of the the very human art of relationship of relating yeah and 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 we have gotten so caught up in trying to do the right things and and get our kids to do the right things that we have lost touch with and shifted away from the uh, focusing on parenting as a first and foremost as a relationship for sure yeah and so so I don't know if you want to add to that because you were you were really kind of nailing it earlier hmm. not to put you on the spot but I thought it was so helpful well I I feel like it is the theme that we I mean it's really kind of the undercurrent of everything is really how do we shift away from the role of being a parent to enter the relationship that we have with our child and um, let me think if there's something in particular. I feel like, hmm, I feel like more than that. I just want to add one other thing. Is Great. it okay? Yeah. I add something sure, else instead, sure. which is I think one of the other critical pieces about parenting 3.0 is that we don't want to throw the baby out with a bathwater. We're not looking at. We're not looking at. Um, this isn't like some new set of ideas, like a like a a set of strategies or something like that but it's also and it's also not rejecting the past completely so we're looking back and we're trying to see what we did what we can learn from in parenting 2.0 and in parenting 1.0 and trying to make sure that anything that we do comes from a a well-studied scientific perspective rather than just trying to keep we're trying to move away from the idea that we're a bunch of guinea pigs and we're trying to move into a place where we have a solid footing, a solid framework from which to, to parent from. And I think that if, if someone asked me what that is, I would say it is relational. I would say that's the core of it all. And I want to take the parses, parts where from Parenting 1.0 where there were really great relational aspects of it that people were, were living from. You know, if you had parents who were really maybe like um, controlling or you know, overpowering, there might be a way you're like, I don't want anything to do with that either. And so there can be a way we that, yeah, there are definitely parts of the past that we would like to not have to go back to. But there are also parts of the past that we want to make sure that we um, extract out. And when we move forward with this um, emerging parenting 3.0, that we're providing to people something that's really a nice, solid foundation. 
that we hope will bring you back to yourself and bring you back to your own innate wisdom and your own parenting instincts. Absolutely. Yeah. So there it is. Thanks everybody for listening. We can't wait to um, hear from you and we invite you to, you know, like this, share this, pass it on, help spread the word. And, um, and we will um, be back next week with uh, some more good stuff. Yeah. Great. Take care. Bye.